This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner-nominated Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Hacha! Hi, this is David Peterson. I'm the creator of Mouse Guard, and you're listening to Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Sort of break it, break it down like this. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is my pleasure to welcome you to episode 167 of THN, we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, June 25th. My name is Matt Baum, you can find me on the Twitter, under the handle, at Matt Baumstein, and when I'm not blaring death metal to hide from the Smash Mouth, Uncle Cracker, Sugar Ray, and Blues Traveler concert happening in the park, mere blocks from my house, and I'm not even making that up. That's how bad it is here tonight, folks. I'm writing the Comic Speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. We need to open a window to hear that show. Oh my and God. I'm Jared Savitas. You can find me at Willie Toots on the Twitter. And when I'm not taping firecrackers to the butt of baby Conan, son of Toots, to teach him the real meaning of freedom, I'm murdering kinky wizards like it's my damn job as Matt and Joe's dungeon master. It's true. You may notice Joe Patrick not here this week. We don't need that guy to have a good time. Isn't that right? Tell me about we've it. We've got drinks. <laughs> hey, we've got... So times are already good. Cheers. Go. The Charo Negros are flowing. We are doing it. In this week's okay. episode, you'll hear our super f- smart reviews of <laughs> Superman 32 and The Outcast, number one. After that, we'll review 10 more of this week's new comics faster than Rob Liefeld can take credit for Cy Spurrier's ideas during the ludicrous speed round, and then we'll retire to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we'll be watching the 4th of July fireworks with some drunk and grumpy old soldiers and talking about next week's comics, and then it's time for another fifth week event! I'm going to put echo on that. It's going to sound huge. Oh, man. And this time, in honor of our country's independence, we'll be counting down our top five favorite G.I. Joe! <laughs> but before we remind you once again that freedom isn't free, let's duct tape red, white, and blue sparklers to our bare butts and scream like freedom, the American eagle! And then we'll talk about this week's big news! We got big news! The Hollywood Chamber of Commerce has released the names of the next 30 people to be honored with stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and among them is none other than contractually recognized Batman creator and real-life supervillain Bob Kane. <laughs> uh, though DC is legally obligated to refer to Kane, even in death, as the sole creator of the Dark Knight, in reality, Kane is probably the person that had the least to do with the process. While Kane is the person that came up with the name Batman, it was writer Bill Finger that actually contributed the most iconic aspects of that character. We're talking the costume, the origin, Gotham City, the Batmobile... Batman's detective nature, and even the Dark Knight nickname. I mean, sure, if you count those things, yeah, he did some stuff. He did a couple (laughs) things. Now, in addition, Finger, along with collaborators like Jerry Robinson, Sheldon Moldoff, and Dick Sprang. He's got a hilarious last name. My favorite name ever. (laughs) Co-created many of Batman's iconic villains, such as Catwoman, the Joker, the Penguin, the Riddler, Two-Face, and on and on and on. It's ridiculous. While Kane continued to receive credit for stories, he wasn't even drawing. Shameful. Now, through lies and trickery, Kane maneuvered his way to fame and fortune while his collaborators died penniless and unrecognized. It's taken 75 years for Bill Finger's name to appear on his creation, the upcoming Batman Day reprint of Detective Comics 27. Now, Hollywood wants to honor a man that's 
dishonored so many. When comic book resources reached out to finger biographer Mark Tyler Nobleman about the news, Nobleman said, quote, The Dark Knight, the title of which is a nickname coined by Bill Finger, the main villain of which debuted in a story written by Bill Finger, the legacy of which is that is one of the highest grossing and most critically praised films of all time, has many hundreds of names in its credits, but none are Bill Finger. None of those people would have had that job if not for Bill Finger. This walk of fame star is yet another instance of Kane receiving recognition I don't feel he deserves unless Finger gets the same. Unquote. Unquote. That is some biting business there. That is pointing a lot of fingers at the finger. (laughs) I'll tell you what. Now, what world do we live in when a beautiful, innocent little cottage industry like Hollywood... (laughs) Is is taken for a ride <laughs> yeah. by Bob Kane. By Bob Unbelievable. Kane. This is just, it's sick and it's sad and it's stupid. And I'm sorry, but like this can't be the first time the Hollywood Walk of Fame had a real asshole placed on it. You know? <laughs> no, of course not. Of course not. <laughs> no, it's it's disgusting. And if DC had any shred of decency whatsoever, they would make as much noise about this as possible because it's out there. We know this. If you and I are reporting this, somebody else yeah, knows it. Yeah. We didn't dig this up. Right, right, right. It's just disgusting. And it's yet another like really dark corner of comic book history. And there's a lot of them out there. Yeah, man. It's and so much of it seems to revolve around this whole creators not getting recognition thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, well, it was the whole work for hire thing back in the day. Yeah. It was just a different time where you got crapped on for a living, yeah. more or less. But now, I mean, what does it hurt to get his name out there? To say on every Batman comic yeah. created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane. He should come first, by the way. Yeah, I'm with you, man. Like, <laughs> the, the, his contributions are ridiculous. Yeah. It's, uh, for him not to have been recognized. And uh, I'm with you all the way on it, man. Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. It's just sad. And, and what's even more sad is this is just a perfect example of how f- the golden age was to work <laughs> in. You know, it really and was. And they got those stupid big sized comics. I know. Man. Tell me about it. In comic news. Marvel has announced that the original 31st century Guardians of the Galaxy will return in their own ongoing series. Guardians 3000 launches in October, written by veteran Guardian scribe Dan Abnett with art by Gerardo Sandoval. The series will feature the original team lineup of Vance Astro, Starhawk, Martinex, Charlie 27, and Yondu. If Aura McWilliams is listening to this, he's screaming right now. (laughs) Guardians 3000 will spin out of the recent backup story in Guardians of the Galaxy number 14, in which the original team reunited to combat a threat to the time stream. According to series writer Dan Abnett, quote, true to the original tales, they are trying to save the future from the menace of the Badoon. (laughs) I wanted to keep that element and indeed try not to do anything to deny any continuity. So... They are freedom fighters, first and foremost, facing an immensely hostile culture. However, they soon discover that a Badoon are just the tip of the iceberg, essentially opportunists taking cosmic advantage of a much deeper crisis. As Starhawk deduces, the very future itself is in danger. History and causality are unraveling and repeating themselves, and not in a friendly, hilarious Groundhog Day kind of way. Jared... With the main series and the upcoming Rocket Raccoon and Star-Lord titles, is the world ready for four goddamn Guardians books? <laughs> yes, is they, that have, a sentence they you, want it. Everyone wants it. Is, is that a sentence you ever thought no. you'd hear anyone say? No, no it's crazy. 
it's crazy that they are doing that. You know what I mean? Like, the, yeah, I, I can see where all of a sudden there's going to be a little bit, little bit of explosion of the characters and they're like books, you know, they're like banking on Rocket being cool and Star-Lord's like the main guy everybody knows from Parks and Rec. So, hey, this is going to be great. But to take that crazy old team yeah, and then be like, here, people, dig these Guardians of the okay. Galaxy. Let me drop a conspiracy theory on you here. We know that Yondu is in the movie. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. So maybe, just maybe, the movie touches on this and Yondu's character has something directly to do with what's going on in this comic. Maybe in the movie, the other Guardians are there too. <laughs> no, that'd be and- weird time crap going on you know and like they high five and go back to their time i don't know i don't know i'm just throwing that out there that's a crazy that's a crazy one man i don't know so much about it but i'm yeah that would be rad i i'll go for it yeah we know he's in the movie why not yeah yeah i just look man i love rocket raccoon and i have since uh the my first exposure to him was that mignola drawn uh, oh yeah four issue thing oh yeah and uh I so I love him like I love him. So for him to how do you feel about Vance Astrovic? The, <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, man, is like when you have something that you love so much, right? And then it gets put out into the public like this. You never know to the point where you're like, oh man, are they gonna kill everything I love? Yeah. Or is everyone gonna love what I love for a different reason? Or you know, it's just a weird thing. So um, look, I. I hope the Guardians and Galaxy are are well received and that it's nothing, you know, it's all cool. Uh yeah, man. Let's I like that they're taking a chance with this stuff. I do too. I do too. I've got a bunch of people that I work with that aren't nerds like you and me. Mm-hmm. And uh they keep asking me, what the hell is this Guardians of the Galaxy yeah, movie? I've gotten that they question. Don't once. get it at all. Yeah. And now to like if I have to go on and explain these other Guardians of the Galaxy, <laughs> like from the seventies. Yeah, well, I don't know what's gonna I, happen. I don't know. It'll get that much exposure unless you, unless like you say, man, right? They show up in the movie. Maybe they'll just be background. We're just gonna have to wait and see. Okay. Now, finally, the upcoming Daredevil show for Netflix has been making waves with a slew of recent casting announcements. Joining Charlie Cox's Matt Murdock are Mighty Ducks and Hunger Games actor Eldon Henson as Foggy Nelson. Men in Black and Law and Order star Vincent D'Onofrio as Wilson Kingpin Fisk and Sin City and Grindhouse star Rosario Dawson <laughs> as an yet unnamed character. Daredevil is the first of five series set to launch on the streaming service in 2015. Now, Matt, how do you think the show is shaping up so far with all these new announcements? The only thing I know about Eldon Henson... It's like I recognize, I had to look up a picture of him and he, I think he's in like a Best Buy commercial. He's like (laughs) funny nerd guy in several different commercials doing sort of like lovable nerdy things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you saw him, you'd be like, oh yeah, that guy. So I don't really know if he can do Foggy Nelson or not. I mean, like I, maybe there's no reason why he can't. I will tell you, I never pictured Foggy Nelson as a ginger. (laughs) Dude's redhead. I mean, that's easily changed. He's got kind of tawny colored hair. Okay. You know, it could make an easy... Okay. An Strawberry easy, blonde. It could make we'll an easy him. turn to uh, Ginger. I like Vincent <laughs> D'Onofrio as a kingpin a lot. I think that's awesome. Yeah. I really yeah. like that that's, choice. That's pretty... I like that guy. You want him to be fat, sweaty, scary guy, Vincent D'Onofrio. Man. <laughs> right? Right. If Can't we go wrong there. Rosario Dawson, uh, in my opinion, is not yeah. a good actress. 
right. and I don't think she's ever really been good in anything. Sure. So if she's gonna be my Electra, that's oh, a little so upsetting. You're calling it then? I don't know who else she's supposed to be. Uh, Lady Bullseye. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, Asian Lady Bullseye. Ah, oh, oh, maybe no, she's perfect. Casting. Maybe she's Echo. Uh, well. Hey, you know what? Haven't thought of that. Okay. Haven't thought of that at all. Still don't like Rosario Dawson, <laughs> but I like that casting man, better than had, Electra. She had her own comic book, man. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I, I didn't read it. What was it? <laughs> I don't remember. Uh, I remember it was like Rosario yeah, yeah, Dawson. Yeah. Ros- yeah, and the character like was drawn like her. Looked just like her. I don't remember what it was called. For some I reason, did, the only thing that's coming to mind I just remember is putting it away in back issue. Jada Pinkin Smith's <laughs> Menace is the only thing that's coming to mind right now. Oh, man. I don't know. I mean, like, Marvel hasn't dropped the ball on anything yet. I still don't love Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but it has improved. I feel like this stuff is going to have to be a totally different thing than what they're doing on ABC or CBS or right. whatever f- channel it's on. This is going to have to be a little more hardcore. This is going to have to be for adults, basically. Do you do you think it's it's going to be connected in any way? Do you like I think there's going to be that whole because they're doing a for this whole in if a, it's not. Yeah, I do too because if they can if they can maintain the connectivity between like TV, movies, streaming. Oh man, that's then you that's own, a that's you own so the world. cool. Yeah, right? you own the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've just you like you just got to get hammered the coffin shut on Warner Brothers. You just got to get uh, <laughs> Fantastic Four and the X Men back. Ugh, yeah, good luck. <laughs> Don't forget about that little. Uh, what was that? What was that other property called? Oh yeah, Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> How could I forget that guy? Give me back. Give me back my bullet. That is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, hit us up at the THN forums where Toots and I are reenacting the Bullseye Electra death scene with the help of my youngest pug Mabel as Electra and Jared's new baby Conan, son of Toots, as Bullseye. <laughs> Every Sunday, the foggy to my Matt Murdock, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week in our THN web forum, which you can find by clicking the link at twittednerd.com. Now, Jared, you're going to read it this week, so I can't say Joe. Jared, what are we asking the listeners this week? Hey, man, courtesy of Shonix. Our buddy. Who I uh, uh, understand sent in like an MP3. He did. With a whole bunch of crap on it. came right off it. I like that kind of action there. You're stranded on a nerdy, deserted island. And you can only choose one movie, one comic book, and one video slash board game. That's either or, not both. Yeah, right. To keep you company. And you have until midnight this coming Thursday, July 3rd, to get us your answer. You can call us and leave us a message with your answer using Skype. Our Skype handle is Two-Headed Nerd. Or at our Ziggurat direct line, 402 819 Four eight nine four, but you keep it under three minutes, or we'll cut you off, man. Or send us an MP3 at thn at gmail.com. But again, keep it under three minutes. And if you need more time than that, please feel free to write your answer in full in the question of the week section on the THN forums. As much as you want, baby. Go nuts. Write a book. That question is Isn't that fun? No. It's going to be it's difficult. too hard. It's going to be very <laughs> difficult. Hard choices will have yeah, to be made. Yeah, it's rough stuff. Out on Thunder now it is time for reviews on THN, where Matt and I slip firecrackers between the pages of two of this week's new comics and review the explosions. 
Matt, what did you blow up in the name of freedom this week? This week, I blew the hell out of Superman number 32 from DC, written by Jeff Johns, art by John Ramita Jr. You heard me right. He's drawn for DC now. Here's your solicit. The Man of Tomorrow! Chapter 1. A new era for Superman! Begins as Jeff Johns takes the reins, and he's joined by legendary super talent of John Ramita Jr., who doesn't get all caps for some reason, in his first ever work for DC Comics as they introduce Ulysses, the Man of Tomorrow, into the Man of Steel's life. This strange visitor shares many of Kal-El's experiences, including having been rocketed from a world with no future. Prepare yourself for a run full of new heroes, new villains, and new mysteries. Plus, Perry White offers Clark a chance to return to the Daily Planet. I don't know why we get that afterthought. (laughs) The new 52 Superman title is only 32 issues deep, but dig this. There have already been five different writers, <laughs> which leads me to believe yeah. that DC wasn't quite sure how they were going to be handling soups. Now, it seems that CCO, that's Chief Creative Officer, Jeff Johns is calling in the big guns himself and John Romita Jr. to write the Superman ship. The story opens with a very familiar scene. Two desperate parents facing certain death with the means to help their child escape. Only this time, they're not on Krypton, but in a lab three miles below Omaha, Nebraska. No (laughs) s***. You're kidding me, dude. No, dead serious, (laughs) which makes them the ziggurats downstairs neighbor. Oh, crap. (laughs) Dude. It's a clever way. Wait a minute. Yeah, they're right below us. It's a clever way for Johns to introduce us to his new Superman run, and it works really well. Cue Superman punching Titano the Super Ape in the mouth while Jimmy photographs. In the first page of action, Johns reminded me what it was like to read a monthly Superman comic that I enjoyed, something that I have not done for a few years now. Johns also seems to be gently returning Clark to status quo as well. Like it says in the solicit, we see Perry White inviting him back to the Daily Planet in a really well-written, very heartfelt scene. It was Mm -hmm. really nice. Where It's Perry talking to Clark, and he's like, look, you don't talk to anybody, you don't hang out with anyone, and ever since you left the Daily Planet, the only people that you had in your life, you've completely cut off. you got to have somebody. you got to talk to somebody. He's like, and I don't care if it's me. And personally, I don't want it to be. But (laughs) you need somebody. (laughs) It was great. As usual, a big bad guy shows up, and Soups has some trouble beating it back until he gets a little help from the last son of Earth, question mark. What? Ulysses. Earth Ulysses? Yeah, buddy. Like, There's a mystery here. There's sci-fi. There's action. And aside from some nano-armor bullshit, just about everything (laughs) you need in a Superman story. The big story here, though, is J.R. Jr.'s art. In the past, Joe and I have taken issue with some of Jr.'s work, but for the most part here, he and Klaus Johnson look great. Even after seeing the preview art, though, I have to admit, I was a little jarred the first time I turned the page to see his Superman. There were a couple of panels where J.R. drew Soup's nano suit, which just made him look like a transformer, <laughs> and it was bad. No. There, I mean, I can't deny that there was some bad panels here. Not to mention that he draws Jimmy Olsen like a 12-year-old. He looks like Justin Bieber with freckles. But these are the same issues I had with him at Marvel for the last five years, so I can't say that this is a DC thing. This is, sure. as much as I hate to say it, John Romita Jr., later on in his career. That's what we're getting. He still looks good. So does Jimmy Olsen look like a bobblehead? Is that what you're getting no, at? Like, like how he draws kids? Not so much like, like a bobblehead, but he does look very young. Okay. Yeah, he doesn't have a giant melon Yeah, that's my problem with his current work, is like his kids with giant bobbleheads, like yeah. in Captain America and... Uh, 
even hit girl at times. You're yeah, just like, it yeah. Gets, it gets a little weird. Uh, there were also some panels toward the end of the story that looked simply amazing. The last page specifically, just excellent. In the end here, I have to say, this was a fun read. It reminded me of what I used to love about Superman. It's been a while since I've cared about the big S at all. But if anyone is going to keep my attention, it's John's. I don't know how long I will be able to root for J.R. Jr. on this title. <laughs> like I said, I'm, I feel like I'm 70-30 with him here. 70% sure. of it looked great. 30% of it, not so uh, Listen, that's kind of just the track record with the guy recently. Right? I'm yeah. still giving this a buy it. Big buy it. Awesome. You that's you, actually awesome to hear. You didn't get a chance to read it. I did not get a chance to get back up to the shop to grab a review copy. No, that's I okay. did not read it. I am the poorest choice for a guest host, <laughs> it seems. Since David DeMarco. <laughs> Sounds interesting. I'll give it a skim it. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you tell us about Outcast number one? <laughs> All right. Outcast number one from Image Comics. Uh, here's the solicit. New horror series from The Walking Dead creator Robert Kirkman. <laughs> Kyle Barnes has been plagued by demonic possession all of his life. And now he needs answers. Unfortunately, what he uncovers along the way could bring about the end of life on Earth as we know it. It begins here with this terrifying double-sized first issue. You have to yell that. Featuring 44 pages of story with no ads for the regular price of just Two nine nine. You know what that is? That's Image Comics flipping everybody off. Dude. We can do whatever we want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I'm sure Kirkman's name alone is going to sell this book in some major capacity, which is well-founded since his track record is pretty good. But the horror in Outcast feels far more grounded, and I, shall I say, feels more real than the survival horror of his Walking Dead series. As the solicit says, the book focuses on Kyle Barnes, He's a young man who has a seemingly long history with demons and possession, uh, a history that has driven him away from his wife and his child. It strains his relationship with his sister and her family and turned him into a self-imposed like recluse. But a chance encounter with another figure from Cal's past, a reverend, who I looked, they just call him reverend, the whole issue, reverend. I don't think they give him a name. No, 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 no. In that first scene where he's like sitting in the dark talking to that guy, the woman comes in and she says his name. She's like Reverend. Oh, Kelly. does she? Reverend Kelly or whatever. Or okay, like okay. Well, then I, I, I missed it because I was looking in the beginning when he was. But like, I think that was he's it. Like playing cards and smoking and drinking until yeah. the early morning. That's the scene I'm talking about. I, that like, man. Okay. Anyways, that was a good. This scene. Reverend, <laughs> this Reverend draws Kyle back into the world of neck twisting, bile spewing, demonic possession. Oh boy, this book is sure set up to be mind-numbingly creepy and unnerving. I was left with enough questions after reading it about Kyle's past to be really drawn in by what glimpses were given to me. Glimpses which were beautifully paced and depicted by Paul Azaketa. He's so good. Now, if you've so not seen his work before, you are in for a treat. His art fits this story pretty damn near perfectly. He can handle supernatural and make it feel real and familiar, which only strengthens the horror of it all. And he did uh, one of the last uh, series of Conan for Brian Wood. Oh, yeah. With the cultists. Yes. And I couldn't get over the art. Like, it felt so moody, so dark. Yeah. Like, it was raining all the time. Like, it was, like, so creepy. And he, that's what he brings to it here. And the story is dark. 
The central characters are flawed. We mentioned the Reverend earlier, uh, playing cards and drinking till the early morning. They're somewhat unlikable. Like Kyle is kind of unlikable. But fans of the supernatural should not skip this book. Fans of horror should not skip this book. Fans of Kirkman should not skip this book. And fans of value should not skip this book because <laughs> it is hefty, hefty, hefty for the price. I give it a buy it and try it. Yeah, I really like this. I really like this. And I think one of the things that Kirkman is really good at that we've seen in The Walking Dead is he doesn't pay attention to the rules. The main character is doesn't have to be shining boy scout good right, guy. Yeah. Like there's scenes of him in here doing some really questionable <laughs> things. Yeah. And and yeah. it's sort of part of the story is what's so off about demonic possession is there's a chance you might have to punch a kid in the face, Repeatedly. you know, to stop him from killing you, <laughs> yeah. you know? And that's pretty terrifying stuff if yeah. you think about it. And Kirkman is so good at putting us in really uncomfortable positions where a choice has to be made and you look at the character and say, you know what, I would probably do that same thing yeah. if I wasn't so scared you know, or whatever. Yeah. And I think this is going to be a lot of fun. This is Paul as, as a Keita or as a Seta or however he says it is so talented, like you said, and so good at doing real world horror. This isn't fantasy horror. This isn't yeah. like... Greg Capullo's spawn or something with ridiculous, huge, scary demons. Yeah. In fact, when we do see the demon in this book, it's a cloud of black smoke with like yeah. sort of a Some little shapes. skull kind yeah. of shape yeah, yeah, thing yeah. in it. And and it's, it makes it even creepier. Uh-huh. I loved this. I'm also giving it a huge buy it. And yeah, double size for $2.99. You can't go wrong here. You can't go wrong. I right. was reading it digitally, so I didn't realize how many... Pa- and I kept going, really? Yeah. It's still it's going. Hey, yeah. It's a hefty book. Really good stuff. Buy it from me as well. It gives them... A, it, I think the nice thing about it being so big is it also gives them some time to play out the scenes in a manner where it's presented to you. It's not sped up. You know, yeah. They, they have the space to let, yeah. you know, give this to you in such a fantasy. We get to see the main yeah, character interacting with his sister, yeah. interacting with his brother-in-law, yeah. interacting with the priest. You know, like we get to see him and get a real feel for who he is. Yeah. So when we do get the last page, we're like, okay, I know this guy. I I see what he's going through. I got to read more of this. Yeah. It was really well executed. Agree. So that's a single buy it for Superman number 32 and a double buy it for Outcast number one. Now, of course, we want to know what you expat artists and demon-haunted nerds thought of these comics, so be sure to infect our mortal souls with your opinions over at this week's comic section of the THN forums, which you can find by clicking the forum button at thetwoheadednerd.com. X-Force writer Cy Spurrier has been doing a bang-up job keeping Cable's team of mutants worth reading, but it seems now that he's revealed the old man clones himself daily and kills the last clone... Weird, right? Good old cable creator and Twitter loudmouth Rob Leefield is taking all the credit for the idea. Well, there's only one way to settle an argument like this. That's right, it's time for a Dark Crystal-style sword and stone bashing, where the loser will be banished from the comic world forever! We've outfitted both creators with their ebony blades and creepy Skeksis garb, and now they'll be hacking away at the stone as fast as they can, trying to chop it down like contestants in the Lumberjack games. 
all while we review 10 of this week's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous Speed! Go! Savage Hulk, number one from Marvel! Alan Davis is given free reign to go back in time and play with the Hulk's past while staying in continuity. What? This issue plays off the events from X-Men number 66, published in 1970, where in order to save Professor Xavier... Oh, and I said Xavier. Is it Xavier? I say Xavier. (laughs) Joe Patrick says Xavier. It's a running, like, fight we have. (laughs) Oh, it just came off from a comatose state. The strangest teens of all must seek out Dr. Banner for his help. Yet that brings them into contest with the Hulk. This series expands on the tale, and the talented Alan Davis is sure to take us all on a thrill ride as he spins it into a deeper story. It picks up right where the issue left off, and I'm really excited to see where he takes it. Buy it! That's a cool idea. It's That's a really cool it's idea. It's the old school X-Men. It's awesome. Who doesn't yeah, love it? I was spinning an idea like this for Cable years ago. <laughs> the Amazing World of Gumball by Kaboom! Kaboom's Cartoon Network titles are fantastic reads for kids and adults who still love funny cartoons. Gumball is a 12-year-old cat with a fish named Darwin for a little brother. The show follows the two on their insane adventures with their classmates, a talking banana, a T-Rex, and a ghost (laughs) with a flop, and that's just to name a few, and hilarity ensues. I already loved the cartoon, and the comic captures the spirit of the show perfectly. These aren't educational comics for kids, but they're damn funny. Buy it! Original Sins, number two from Marvel. Black Knight, Young Avengers, Howard the Duck. What's not to like with that? That lineup? sounds awesome. <laughs> it's one comic with three short stories. Expand the story of Original Sins. The Watcher's eye has exploded, and all the watched jizz in his eye oh, squirts out <laughs> into a bunch of druggies' brains. And all that watched jizz oh, is too much, and it's killing them. So enter the hood, whose relationship with one of said druggies draws him to action. But he's a bad guy, right? That's how I remember him. So the young Avengers rise to stop those actions. And then you have the Black Knight. He's hiding out and fighting the effects of wielding the ebony blade. And then Howard the Duck appears in a two-page story. It just feels tacked on. It's got no real purpose. I suppose my interest in these characters could bring me back. But this book is probably not necessary. It's just like the majority of other event tie-ins. Mm. So I give it a skim it. Who wrote it? Oh, crap. I don't know. Doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, all right. <laughs> I mean, it's, a different, it's different writers and different artists. Okay. Groups of three. All right. Ritual 3, Vile Decay, one-shot, Alternative Comics. Alternative Comics out of Cupertino, California, has been quietly winning awards for years, and it's because they're not afraid to take chances. Here, creator Malachi Ward tells an extremely decompressed sci-fi story about an old man warning a child about life in the city and then goes on to take a look at civil disobedience from a self-obsessed point of view. This is well-drawn, hard to smash into a genre, but hey, that's what indie comics do best. I'm giving it a buy it. This was cool. Skull Kickers, number 28, from Image. This is only the second Kickers comic I've ever read. I'm drawn to this book by its fantasy themes, and I really enjoy the rad cover artwork by James Gio. He's really good. But once again, the jokiness, or fun tone rather, of the book Still has me feeling all these all these feelings. <laughs> and maybe it's because of the general lack of solid ongoing sword and sorcery comics that I'm frustrated by the non-serious ones. Uh, I'm a bit lost on what's going on here as this is part of a part four of a five-issue storyline, but it has something to do with dwarves and glacial giants. The fact that this series is still going on speaks strong volumes to my lack of familiarity with it. 
I'm behind keeping the book alive, but it's still a tough sell to me. Skim it. Okay. Dream Thief escapes number one by the Dark Hizzy. Writer Jai Nitz returns to Dream Thief, this time with the excellent art of Greg Smallwood. For those who don't remember, John Lincoln stole a mask from a museum that allows vengeful ghosts to possess his body while he sleeps and doles out violent justice. This is a very well-written, real-world type ghost writer story where John is trying to balance cosmic justice with the threat of, you know, murder charges in prison. <laughs> it's He's not a necessarily nice character, but he is on the side of the angels. This is a really deep, well-written book. I'm giving it a buy it. Conan the Avenger, number three from Dark Horse. Fred Van Lente continues his adaptation of The Snout in the Dark, and he's doing a fine job. The story was never completed by Robert E. Howard before his death, so it does leave some room for personal interpretation. Van Lente adds to the tale one Agara, the witch hunter of Kush, and I'm finding myself drawn to this character quite a bit. I'm a big he, Kush guy myself. He, <laughs> uh, Agara stars in the book just as much as Conan does, and uh, now the pig demon, which made its first grisly appearance last issue, oh my god, by bursting out of a child, I loved it. <laughs> the pig demon <laughs> looks more menacing this issue and less like a character out of a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Now, Conan is still haunted by the death of Billy, but is doing his best job to work through it with mercenary work, wine, and women. And, but by the end of the issue, Conan does get a job. By Crom, buy it! New Avengers Annual number one by Marvel. Here we get a standalone Doc Strange issue just in time for Stephen Strange casting rumors on the internet to hit a fever pitch. I wonder if they planned that. 12 Ghosts and Blackout writer Frank Barberi is on the story along with amazing painted art by Marco Rudy. This serves as a brief reintroduction to Strange in the Marvel Now You, and calling it a New Avengers Annual is probably just to help it sell better, honestly. I would love to see these two on a Doc Strange Monthly. This was wonderful. Really, really, really cool at who Doctor Strange is, what happened now that he's made that. You may remember, uh, it was a couple of years ago, he like started practicing blood magic because he needed to be more powerful. Just like a Dragon Age. And now they're addressing what exactly happened to him. It was super f***ing cool. I'm giving this a buy. Rachel Rising, number 26, from Abstract Studio. I kind of keep waiting for this book to end. Every month, I feel like the sales and unpopularity will be its downfall. Yeah, and you constantly hear Terry Terry Moore going like, Come on, guys! <laughs> I need your help! <laughs> but Terry Moore is a master of the comic craft. His writing and artwork are both top-notch, unlike other creative-driven books where either the art or the writing is strong and the other is not so much. But Rachel Rising is an eerie, violent, harsh, and visually gruesome book. Every issue. It's hard to recommend this single issue, mainly because it's so deep into the story that you will kind of be lost reading it. So I can only say skim it. But as a side note, when it comes to the story as a whole, and if you were to pick up the trades, it's super big buy it. Okay, so skim it with a qualified big buy it. <laughs> big buy it on the whole series, skim it on single I issue. I love how nebulous these are. <laughs> this one I've been waiting for, Alien Legion. On Civil War number one by Titan. Last week, I was singing about Chuck Dixon bringing back his Winter World story, and now he's bringing back Alien Legion, a hardcore alien military space procedural comic from the mid-1980s that only I remember and love. Not true. Oh, well, I'm glad to know there's one other person. <laughs> I'll be honest, unless you spent a lot of time with these characters 25-odd years ago, you might be completely lost. I cannot be partial here. 
I loved this. So much the reading this comic made my damn week. But if you're casually dipping your toes into Alien Legion for the first time, I cannot guarantee that you won't be completely lost here. Buy it from a young Matt Bomb's point of view, but probably a skim it for everyone else. Young Jared would give it a buy it as well. Oh, man, man it was so fun! <laughs> Gun! That is your ludicrous speed round, and shot gun is the sound of Gumball's brother Darwin jumping into the passenger seat of their dad's car to go on an underage driving adventure. <laughs> now this 4th of July, Matt and I invited some of our favorite grumpy old soldiers to the Sanctum Sanctorum to watch the fireworks from our penthouse window view and talk about their glory days. Well, our good friends, U.S. agent Nick Fury, Sergeant Rock and the Unknown Soldier have been droning on and on about old war stories for hours now, and I hear one more story about liberating a small Pacific village from the back of a long-thought extinct dinosaur. I swear I'm gonna puke! Matt, what say you and I sneak away and talk about what we're excited to read next week? Oh, God, these guys are killing me. Let's get out of here. (laughs) Next week, I'm excited for Rocket Raccoon, number one from Marvel, written and drawn by Scotty Young. Here's your solicit. As defenders of the cosmos go, Rocket Raccoon has faced his fair share of galactic battles. He's been a hero to the weak, a champion of good, a protector of the innocent, a heartthrob to the many intergalactic female species, and now, a raccoon on the run? Question mark, exclamation point? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. A formidable and expert guardian on the run. Rocket is not a raccoon, okay? Everybody got that? Rocket's high-flying life of adventure and heroism may soon be a thing of the past when he becomes a wanted man and the authorities are not the only one on his tail! We'll definitely be overusing that pun. It's cute, right? Scotty Young, (laughs) super talented guy. Gotta love Rocket Raccoon. He's gonna write this super tongue-in-cheek. I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. It should be a hoot. Jared, what is your pick for next week? My pick for next week is Solving Bastards number three (laughs) in (laughs) Image Comics written by Jason Aaron. Art by Jason Latour. Solicit. Earl Tubbs, one-man war to clean up. Crawl County begins to rage out of control as it claims its first casualty. Southern Bastards is one of the meanest (laughs) things I've ever read. Really, really good. Plaids and trucker hats, buddy. All over the damn place. The DHN trade of the week goes to Wonton Soup from Oni. This is written and drawn by James Stokoe. He's the guy who drew Godzilla Half Century War, which was just awesome. Loved it. And Orc Stain, which Loved is completely it. nuts. Oh, yeah. Here's your solicit. James Stokoe's crazy space trucker cooking epic returns to print bigger and badder than ever before. Join Johnny Boyo and Deacon as they cruise the intergalactic superhighways in search of legendary ingredients and amazing adventure. This collects Wonton Soup Volumes 1 and 2. It's going to be weird and Fun as hell, guys. It's going to be wild to look at, for that's for sure. After you've had your fill of weird war stories, let us know what you've been reading next week over at them THN forums. Them's the one. It's almost the 4th of July weekend, so we here at THN could think of nothing more patriotic than a salute to the troops that keep this country free. Ladies and gentle nerds of America, join us, won't you, in this celebration of America and the rare fifth week comic event as Jared and I count down our top 
five favorite G.I. Joes. Yo, Joe! <laughs> Mr. Toots, you are a guest in this ziggurat. I would love to hear your number five. Why don't you go ahead and go first? I am so excited to do this. This is going to be fun. And I have to tell you that I have based mine mostly, almost solely, on the toy line. Because same uh, here, dude. Same here. The toys were were what got me into yeah, GI Joe, absolutely. and of course they preceded the um, cartoon, anyways. Right. The so, cartoon was just like the crack that they sold to us as kids yeah. to buy, make us go buy more yeah. toys. And I, what's interesting is the majority of my Joes are day one Joes, but mine were too. <laughs> I got a couple crazy ones okay. thrown in. Okay. Craziest one is probably number five. Checking in at number five. Checking in at number five. Budo, dude. Budo. Budo. Budo the Samurai. Oh! All right, Budo. Now, Budo's father was an orthodontist <laughs> in <laughs> Oakland. <laughs> that's, a, that's true for a lot of samurais. His grandfather <laughs> was a farmer in Fresno. Also true for a lot of samurais. And his great-grandfather <laughs> was a track worker on the Rocky Mountain line, and his great Great grandfather was a fencing master. Can you get any more samurai stereotypical? <laughs> in one of the last great samurai warrior families of Japan. Now, on his 18th birthday, he was given the family swords and a haiku written by his ancestor that reads The great sword sheathed glitters brightly in the dark, unseen, and at rest. Oh, Son of a oh. bitch. Now, the man has a fifth degree black belt in Aedo, the art of the live blade, and similar rank in three other martial arts. He could have even earned higher rankings if he didn't spend so much time working on his chopped panhead Harley and listening to heavy metal. <laughs> Holy <laughs> that's That's it. Why? Why is he my number five? He's Good. a f samurai. He's schizophrenic. <laughs> <laughs> he, Harley's in heavy metal. This dude was rad. Too cool. I loved him. Too cool. So dumb. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> Joe, uh, no. You're Matt. I'm You're, Matt. You are I'm not still Joe. Matt. I'm I've still had Matt. a little much of this THN drink here. So, I, what's your number five? This is I took too much time. Come My on. number five was not a particularly impressive GI Joe, but it was the first GI Joe that I ever received. Okay, and it started me down the rabbit hole. Yeah. It, my number five goes to Flash, the laser rifle <laughs> trooper. Yeah. He wore a green suit with red padding and kind of yeah. looked like he played a catcher. <laughs> oh, <laughs> his man. real name is Anthony S. Gambello, and his rank is that of Corporal E4. Flash was born in Lodi, California, also where the Sons of Anarchy are from. His primary oh, military specialty is infantry. Secondary specialty is electronic CBR. I don't even know what that means. He is highly skilled in many aspects of electronic technology and equipment repair, and he has a master's degree in electronic engineering. Flash enlisted and received specialized training in the Army Electronic School, Chemical School, and Covert Electronics, whatever the hell that is. Later, he was assigned the Aberdeen Proving Grounds Covert Electricians Division, <laughs> Covert Electronics Division, not electricians division, which would be cool, <laughs> where his new laser range finder led him to be recruited by General Flag. He is qualified expert with the M16, M1911A1, and the XMLR-1A, the shoulder-fired laser rifle made popular by every character on the cartoon <laughs> show. Jared, I would love to hear your number four. Okay, man. First off, I got to say... Flash had that intricate laser gun and yeah. it plugged into his backpack. It was so cool. That like, oh man, you were like, oh, it's so small. It's got to fit in there. Oh yeah. I broke the hell out of it. And it would always <laughs> pop out. You move his arm too much and it would pop out. <laughs> yeah. My number four 
is Super Rad Beachhead. Mm. Now, Beachhead is a former instructor at the Ranger School. Beachhead at- didn't make my list. I forgot <laughs> about him. <laughs> Beachhead. Oh, I love He's Beachhead. at Fort Benning, Georgia, and he's a former observer advisor at the Covert Ops School in Central America. So many of these dudes are covert ops. I love it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Beachhead is a highly motivated individual. He's got a high pain threshold. He's got a moderate temperament and a low tolerance for underachievers and slackers. Beachhead likes to be the first one out of the helicopter on a combat assault because he knows he can provide the best covering and suppressive fire to allow the rest of his team to deploy. He's a defender class. Yeah. To him, anger is a waste of energy and doesn't accomplish anything. He'd rather get even. (laughs) Now, why did I choose Beachhead? When my buddies and I used to role play as Joes and run around the neighborhood shooting imaginary cobras. Nerds. I was Beachhead. Nice. Because my buddy Mike was Snake Eyes. (laughs) (laughs) I just love Beachhead's look. He's got that cool British commando sweater, just like Remo Williams. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Are you old enough to know who Remo Williams is? (laughs) And ski mask combo. He's got these cool camo pants. It all really works well together. Yeah, the balaclava (laughs) that he even wore when it was hot outside. (laughs) He's got a sweet-ass backpack. It's it had a sculpted bow on it. That was cool. And it came with an ammo pack that you strapped on him like a purse. Loved it. What's your number four, Matt? Mine goes to Snow Job. Oh, yes. Codenamed after a very special brand of oral sex. His real <laughs> name is Harlan W. Moore, and his rank is that of Staff Sergeant E6, which means nothing. Snow Job was born in West Rutland, Vermont. Snow Job was a major bi- Olympic biathlon contender who enlisted for special training and support privileges that the Army gives to Olympic champions. <laughs> Apparently, they're just rife with them. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's been suggested that he got his nickname more from being a con artist than his primary military specialty on Arctic Ski Patrol. His secondary specialty is rifle instructor, and he's a qualified expert with all NATO long-range sniper rifles and, of course, the XMLR 3A laser rifle. (laughs) Snow Job was one of my favorites because he came with skis, but no pulls because he needed his hands for shooting him, dude. He's got his gun. He skied around and shot people, man. (laughs) I drove him all over my couch and shit. He was so cool. Sweet old red beard. I'd always make him drive the snowmobile. Oh, man, he was awesome. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Give me your number three, Jared. (laughs) Okay. Matt. How many Polacks does it take to drive a tank? <laughs> Just one, one, buddy. <laughs> Ralph W. Pulaski, baby. Codename Steeler. Now, Steeler hails from a family with blue-collar, middle-class background. But to get through college, he took an ROTC scholarship and operated heavy equipment machinery. When he joined the Army, he specialized in operating many armored fighting vehicles, including many NATO and Warsaw Pact AFVs. Though he is recognized as a tough and dedicated soldier and an officer, he does have a tendency to clash with his superiors. Steeler is one of the strongest G.I. Joe members. His family liked to prove their worth through displays of physical contests <laughs> and liked to challenge his teammates in bouts of strength and stamina, just like Festivus. <laughs> totally. Now it's time for the feats of strength. <laughs> now, why Steeler? I know he's kind of an odd choice, maybe. But he is actually the first G.I. Joe I ever saw. There it is. My childhood buddy Fred got the Mobat tank. Oh, so cool. And it was my introduction to the toy line and the universe. At six wheels. It was so rad, dude. Battery battery operated. Oh, man. Uh, Steeler had this rad like helmet visor, and he came with an Uzi. And dude, Uzis were the in the 80s, Oh, yeah, man. Because of Terminator and everything, Uzi. It was all Uzi all the way. Plus, he was Polish. 
just like my mom. <laughs> oh, but not you. <laughs> well, my mom is actually Wapalock. She's Italian Polish. Yeah, wow. <laughs> wow. That is a racially charged term. Hey, man, listen. You can say it if it's you. <laughs> so I've got that in me. I'm a third of that. I'm not allowed to throw around the WP word. All right, here we go. <laughs> Give me your number three, Matt. My number three goes to Sergeant Slaughter. Sergeant Slaughter was born in Paris Island, South Carolina, and spent time dressing down trainees in Camp Lejeune. His real name is Top Secret. According to the G.I. Joe storyline, since just about every other member of the G.I. Joe team is qualified to be a drill instructor, it takes a special brand of heavy-duty honcho to keep them squared <laughs> away. He serves as the team's special drill instructor, as mentioned in the animated movie, and also engages in special missions. He ran, like, a group of top-secret Joes that did, like, all the, like, the really dirty work, and they were all the screw-ups. He wanted, like, the worst Joes, you know? <laughs> Sergeant Slaughter was the perfect intersection of two things I loved as a child, G.I. Joe and professional wrestling. He was a real guy. I'm fairly certain Sergeant Slaughter was the first actual person to make the jump to the Joes. And Bob Remus, the man who actually was Sergeant Slaughter in WWF, voiced the character on the cartoon. He did. You can't ask for more than that if you're no. a wrestling fan as a kid, man. Let me tell you. Second actual person. William the Refrigerator Perry is yeah. the next guy to cross yeah. over. Give me your number two. Shanna M. O'Hara, Scarlet. Nice. She is an extremely talented woman. She is already a gifted martial artist. She got her black belt by the age 15. She eventually joined the army and en entered into all sorts of training she could get into, finally excelling into intelligence work. She stands as the only member of the Joe team who has duties that are kept confidential from the rest of the team, just like Black Widow. Oh, man. Despite all of her deadly skills and serious work, she still manages to have a sense of humor. Oh. <laughs> now, I love Scarlet because she was the first female Joe. Yeah. What a strong, confident woman. She played kissy face with Duke. Is that Positive right? role model for young girls. Oh, yeah, yeah. In a sea of male characters, she stands equal. Nay! She stands above them. Ooh. Plus, she came with throwing stars on her wrist and a power crossbow. Yeah, dude. What's your weapon? Oh, I'll take the power crossbow. <laughs> I don't sure everybody's shooting me with guns. I'm not interested. <laughs> Matt, listen, I don't know how you can top Sergeant Slaughter, but what's your number two? I'm gonna shake things up. And you're gonna say, oh my god, I can't believe he's in your number one, because I bet it's yours. Snake Eyes is okay. my number two. Okay. 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 Snake Eyes is the code name of a member of the G.I. Joe team. Much of his history and information, including his real name, place of birth, and service number, have remained classified throughout all depictions of his origin. All that is known for certain about him is his rank and grade. He's undergone drill sergeant training, oh, just like everyone else, and is a former U.S. Army <laughs> Special Forces and Delta Force operator. Very little else about his past has been revealed. He was originally billed by Hasbro in 1982 as a commando, but in the pages of the Marvel comics, it became clear that he was also a goddamn full-fledged ninja master. <laughs> Snake Eyes was a ninja that came with a sword and a wolf. I cannot think of anything else that 10-year-old Matt Bomb could ask for. Yeah. Oh, my God. It yeah. was so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dude, that rolls right into my number one because my number one is Snake Eyes. Uh, I hate to be cliche. No, that's okay. But Snake Eyes is my number one. I struggle with this. I understand you putting him as your number two, okay? Uh, but I 
had to go with him as my number one because, like, he was so he was a coolest badass. He dude. was the coolest, and I I have to say. I know the second version of him with the crazy uh, blinds visor did come with the wolf and the sword. My favorite design is the first one. Yeah. The second one, they added lips. Yeah. They added lips and that ruined it forever. But uh, the first design with the like built-in goggles and like breathing hole yeah. holes, uh, I he was love like S&M that design <laughs> so much, man. And uh, to me... I think it was the fact that he was so mysterious. Oh, yeah. And you didn't know who he was. It was like Wolverine. You're like, Wolverine in the beginning, you were like, I don't know this dude. What's with this guy? So black round is so hazy. We don't know what's with this guy. Well, and you know, Larry Hama, who was writing all the cards, all the bios, yeah. was like, let's just make him a total mystery. Total mystery, and man. kids will freak out. It did freak me out. <laughs> but then, unlike Wolverine, when they started to peel back the layers of Snake Eyes, it got cooler. Yeah. Connecting him to Storm Shadow. Yeah. They shared that same tattoo. I remember I saw a guy that was with the tattoo, was and I it? was like, you have this Snake Eyes Storm Shadow tattoo. Yeah, dude. You're cool, dude. <laughs> okay. In the comic oh. book, Marvel comic series, they did the silent issue. So cool. With Snake Eyes. And that was like, that blew me away. Yeah. Like when I saw that comic and I was like, wait a minute, where are the narration boxes? Where so cool. are the word balloons? None of it. Yeah. Not even sound effects, I don't even think. Uh, I think there were little ones, like Thwip and okay. stuff like that. Because you know, he was uh, doing everything real quiet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, doing it really quiet. And the cover is so iconic. One of my favorite things. I think it was called Hush Job. I think you I are think right. it was called Hush Job. Uh, now, one of my favorite things is that Cullen and Bun did that. They did like a little homage to that in Six Gun. Oh, nice. The exact same issue number as that G.I. Joe comic. Oh, nice. They used as their silent issue... When Becky was near an explosion and she was deaf and the whole issue was silent. And on the cover, they did the exact same pose and artwork of Snake Eyes. That is so but with cool. Becky, that is so cool. Which just says a whole lot to the testament of that issue and everything like that. Well, that series. So man. there you go. My number one, Snake Eyes, Joe, no, I'm Matt. Still Matt. You're still Matt. <laughs> there's two, but there's two heads on this nerd. <laughs> it's true. So I'm looking at the it's Joe weird. head. Matt, what is your number one? Give it to me. I'm not doing this just to be controversial. My number one G.I. Joe, legitimately, with a bullet, Roadblock. Oh, that's... I he's rad. loved Roadblock. Roadblock's real name is Marvin F. Hinton. He was born in Biloxi, Mississippi. His primary function in G.I. Joe was heavy machine gunner, and he came with a big goddamn machine gun. Huge one. <laughs> he was also a cook. <laughs> that is true. That's right. <laughs> I loved it. He was always whipping stuff up <laughs> <Yeah>. and grilling <laughs> Roadblock grew up with a large extended family, but was shy despite being a Boy Scout and singing in the church choir. Before he enlisted in the U.S. Army, Roadblock wanted to be a gourmet chef, and he was working as a bouncer to earn enough money to attend the Escoffier School in France. <laughs> An army recruiter convinced him that he could learn to be a chef in the army, which, yeah, that's just as good, right? Hey, man, you go <laughs> come make potatoes. Yeah. After enlisting, Roadblock found army food appalling and transferred to the infantry, where he excelled at using heavy weapons, Roadblock is one of the biggest and strongest members oh, of G.I. Joe, able to carry a fully loaded M2 Browning machine gun as a personal weapon, which can weigh up to 134 pounds and usually requires a dedicated squad to transport and operate. Not Roadblock. He's too big of a badass! <laughs> Despite working in the infantry, he still maintains his passion for making good food and indulges in it while engaging in his secondary duty. 
He is a qualified expert with the Browning 50. Yeah, we don't need that. Roadblock in the cartoon was written by a bunch of white guys who obviously <laughs> thought the brothers just walk around and rhyme all the damn time. <laughs> But right. he had like a sense of humor and he was great and everybody loved Roadblock. He was like G.I. Joe's mascot almost. I loved the character. I loved the action figure. He was like bald and he was just like wearing, you know, like a camo camo tank top. Yeah, dude. camo tank top with and gloves. bullet belts and leather gloves. Big leather gloves on and he had a huge machine gun. <laughs> it did come with the tripod. Oh. But we all know that bro didn't even He didn't the need tripod. it. He wasn't laying down That's and shooting when that when thing. his buddies showed up. It would stick onto his backpack and stuck out all crazy. Oh man, it was I loved Roadblock. That was so much fun. Oh. That was such a I great top 5 counter. Yeah. I'm, okay, hold on. Real quick. I would have thought you would have put maybe Stalker in there. Thought about Stalker because I like Stalker. Tunnel Rat was another one. Tunnel Rat was another one. Tunnel for me. Rat was gonna make my five, but I had to go with the first GI Joe I ever bought. Wetsuit was gonna be another one for me. Uh, Wetsuit. Yeah, dude, the seal diver. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Grain, grain you know what? I had him on mine, and I took him off. And one of the reasons that uh, I had him on there because, like, for the first year that I had that character, I thought his name was Seal because it said right yes, on the package. I thought it was Seal. Seal. Too. Uh, <laughs> you know? uh, Spirit was another one for me. I really like Spirit. Spirit had a came gun. with an eagle. He had a gun that shot arrowhead bullets. Yep. <laughs> and he came with an eagle. And he wore like Indian pants yeah, and moccasins. He had a loincloth. And hey, sure, he wasn't <laughs> he, he wasn't uh, offensive as a cartoon character. <laughs> <laughs> he was all, with yeah. his voice work and stuff. He had some stereotypical uh, stuff going on. That was great. Loved it. Could do it all night. Yeah, that was a ton of fun. Of course, we want to know your favorite Joes. Head on over to the THN forums and tell us your top five or, you know, just your number one, whatever. We'd love to hear from you guys. Sort of break it it down like this. And that is it for the 4th of July episode of THN. If you're planning on having a few beers and blowing off a few fingers this weekend, you too should subscribe to the show on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn, where we still need your star ratings, reviews, thumbs up, or hearts, because it helps us to connect with other patriotic listeners. Thanks to all our donors, for you are the beating heart of this bloated monstrosity. And if you'd like to help keep us in M80s and burn cream, you can make your donation in any amount using our patriotic PayPal button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. And if you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation Monthly box. And as little as $1 a month really does help. You know, if every one of you guys gave $1 once a month, Jared and I would be able to retire. Think about that, huh? While you're there, you can find... old. (laughs) We would have... $13, okay? (laughs) While you're there, you can find links to all of our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Skype, and the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. Using this covert action force of resources, you can hit us with your Ask a Nerd comic questions, your trivia challenges. You can beg the comic pushers for reading suggestions, or you can ask us to review your self-published comic book, be it printed, digital, stamped on toilet paper, whatever. And don't forget to go sign up for the THN forums. This is your little virtual piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show, post pictures of your most gruesome firework burns, or just rap about comics. Remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page and watch the forums if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion. It's always a blast. And then be sure to tune in to hear your answers on the Answer of the Week podcast. But if you need more THN in your life, and we all do, 
get over to the THN.com and check out Kevin Coffey's Batman Forever, where he follows the weekly title Batman Eternal. And this just in. Stay tuned for further news on John Bunger of the Douglas and Dragons podcast. And I, your very own Wooly Toots, will be doing smoking reviews. Oh, man. I love it. Just let your mind boil on that. <laughs> They're actually going to smoke something and review comics at the same time. Oh, we're we're going to review everything. It's going to be awesome. It's not just comics. It's going to be on the YouTube channel. I love it. I love it. Yes. Next week is another wild card show. So be ready for damn near anything. Our weekly shout out goes to Larry Stroman, artist of Alien Legion, who, it just so happens, hasn't sent off a commission that he was hired to do by a fan more than a year ago. I'm sending you the shout out, Larry, because I know this was an oversight and I want you to correct it, buddy. Word to you, Larry, but only after you actually send this poor bastard his commission. Come on, man. You're making me look like an asshole here. <laughs> Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics. Most notably, Tech Jacket coming next week from Image. It looks like it's going to be a ton of fun. And when you do, there's a damn good chance that your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Willie Toots, a pleasure. It was a pleasure being here. Maybe not my strongest show. Nah, stop but it. But hey. You. Stop it, you. I'm here at any time. He's fishing for compliments, folks. That's all. <laughs> <laughs>